Amen and amen. I say, Jesse, your excitement's contagious, man. It's rubbing off on me, and uh, the Lord's been good. Today is Palm Sunday, and it is a tradition of the church uh, that we celebrate, we commemorate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is what is often referred to as Holy Week, that a little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem prophetically. It was a fulfillment of a centuries-old prophecy that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem, the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem as a conquering king. Uh, now, that, that prophecy was fulfilled 2,000 years ago with the triumphal entry, but it also points to the ultimate return of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who will return again. How many realize that he's coming again? Just as he said, he's going to split the eastern sky. So today is not just symbolic, it is also prophetic in its import. It's a, a great opportunity for us to remind ourselves of what Jesus did, but also to look forward to his imminent return because he is coming again. And again, this is the countdown to Holy Week. Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly. And what I find ironic is the fact that human nature is on display in this text. You know why I say that? I say that simply because Jesus' life went through three important stages or three important movements. Uh, on one occasion, they were shouting his praises, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The next moment, they were saying, by what authority does he do these things? And thirdly, they said, crucify him. It's amazing how fickle we are can be in our humanity. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have probably been in seasons of our life and situations where the same people who sang our praises are the same people who were shouting, crucify him. And the truth is, and you've heard me say this before, but it bears repeating, if you live for the approval of men, you will die by their criticism. There has to be something greater that affirms you. There has to be something greater that becomes the source of your identity. And that's why Jesus was moved neither by their praise nor their criticism. He found his identity in the approval of the Father and in the approval of the Father alone. That's why even before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he heard the affirmation of the Father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that word of affirmation, Jesus had everything that he would need for his three and a half years of ministry. So if the Pharisees were coming against him, didn't bother him. If the people were singing his praises, it didn't bother him. In fact, in John chapter 2, the scripture says that Jesus did not need the testimony of men because he already knew what was in every man. Jesus knew how fickle we are. And there's a lesson to learn from that on Palm Sunday. That is possible for the same people who sing your praise on Palm Sunday to shout crucify you crucify him on Good Friday. It's just a span of five days. 
Now notice, the people who were putting out in, in Liberia, where I'm from, from the women, when you're celebrating, they take off their lapa, which is, they wear that in layers, and it's a cloth that they wrap around their waist, and when they're celebrating, they will take off one layer of the lapa and put it on the ground and let you dance on it and let you march on it, and so I understand what's happening. They took these palm branches, and they began to celebrate Jesus because they thought that he would be a Messiah according to their understanding. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a deliverer who will set them free from Roman occupation. Isn't it something how quickly things can change when you don't live up to other people's expectations of you? You see, because in Jesus, they were looking for another David. They were looking for a political and a military deliverer. Yet Jesus said, or God says through Jesus, that I sent him for a much greater purpose. And that is not just a liberation and the deliverance of, in a political sense or a military sense. I came to set you free for all eternity. And it's amazing how quickly our opinions of people can change when they don't live up to our expectations. There was never a moment that Jesus said in all of his three and a half ministry of preaching that, you know what, I'm going to break off the chains of oppression of Caesar. In their minds, they reduced, I want you to hear this word, they reduced Jesus to their expectations. And how many times have we walked away from God disappointed because we reduced him to our expectations? Mm-hmm. When what he desired to do in our lives was totally different than what we expected of him. And most times, because of our expectations, we walk away from a season with God. We walk away from a place with God. Disappointed because we told ourselves stories in our own heads that didn't come from God. So in five days, in five days, the entire city of Jerusalem went from this feverish adoration and jubilation in the idea, over the idea that this guy is going to set us from Roman occupation to the point where they saw Jesus five days later and said, this cat is an imposter. We put all our hope in you and look at they dragging you through the streets. And the very same people, many of whom Jesus had touched, had healed, had helped, flipped the script, said crucify him. I'm going to get to my message in a minute. But there is a profound life lesson that we all can learn from the text. That as we look back 2,000 years, we'll recognize that if our lives, if our lives are dependent just on what people say about us. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. You will walk away from every relationship with either an inflated opinion of yourself or a deflated opinion of who you are. The only accurate description you will ever get, the only accurate estimation you will ever get of who you truly are is found in Christ and Christ alone. Because I am not who I think I am. I am not who others say I am. I am ultimately who God says I am. And most of us go through life viewing ourselves through, thank you, baby. Uh, through uh, 
distorted mirrors. Because if you've ever been to a carnival, if you've ever been in a uh, fair and you've been into a room and it's filled with these mirrors and you stand before the mirror and the mirror is distorted and the image it reflects back to you is a distorted image and that image is either an inflated sense of who you are, it might make you taller and skinnier or it might make you shorter and wider. And most of us are satisfied going through life, looking into distorted mirrors, which is the opinions of men. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, let no man think more highly of himself than he ought, but let him think of himself soberly. Where do I derive this sober judgment of who I am? It comes only from the word of God. And it comes only from a place of intimacy with God. And that's why every single day that Jesus lived, guess what Jesus did? He started his day in his father's presence. Listen to me. Jesus started every day in his father's, and this is what he said. He said, I only do what I see the father do. And I only say what I hear the father say. You know why Jesus started his day there? Because he knew that we'd be tripping. And if I don't talk to God first, And if God doesn't remind me of who I am, I will start to lean inordinately upon the praises or the criticism of men. And in only five days, they went from celebrating him as their deliverer, as the Messiah, to saying, kill him. Can you imagine how much toxicity developed over five days? I don't know if, in fact, I'm putting myself in Jesus' shoes. I'm imagining Jesus hearing the same voices and seeing the same faces that celebrated him while he's on the donkey riding into Jerusalem. And now he's walking the Via Dolorosa with 39 stripes on his back. Bible historians said it was such a violent punishment because they had the, the whip and they put bone and they put nail into that, into that whip and every time they whipped him, it yanked out flesh. That's why in Isaiah chapter 53, it says he was beyond recognition. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been betrayed on that level, but that's the price Jesus paid for each of us. And I don't even know why I'm spending time here. Maybe it's for one of us or some of us. Maybe even it's for me. Because some of you might be walking through a season in your life where you're wrestling with and grappling with criticism. Or maybe you've lived your whole life for the approval of others. You may be an approval addict. It may be the thing that fuels your life. That your joy is derived from the things that people say about you. Maybe today you're here because the Lord wants to remind you that the thing you should live for and the thing you should uh, rest in, rest, I want you to hear this, rest in is the fact that God loves you. He loves you. And his love for you is not performance-based. He loved you before you were born. He loved you after you were born. He loved you when you were perfect. And he loved you right now when you dropped the ball and you're imperfect. Because the unconditional love is a love that is demonstrated not because of, it is demonstrated in spite of. 
not because we're perfect, but in spite of our imperfections. One of my mentors would always say, the love of God believes the best, even when the worst has been displayed. And so our entire lives should be lived for the audience of one. And that's how Jesus lived his life. So everything I just said was my introduction. Let me dive into my notes for this morning in Jesus' name. It's a perfect segue into today's message. Because we're st we started a series two weeks ago called Hooked. And, and ever since I became bivocational, went back into the marketplace, I have become keenly aware, keenly aware of my responsibility as a Christ follower to share my faith. I have been keenly aware and I have been reminded with tremendous urgency of the necessity of being a witness for Christ. And as we count down to Easter, when we ask you to invite someone, it's, a, it's about more than just this card. It's about more than just this invite. What hinges on this invite is a life transformed. The potential and the possibility for someone you invite to encounter Jesus for themselves on a personal level. And, and, I, and, I, and I said this last week or two weeks ago, that for most of us who are Christians, who are Christ followers, we've never, we've never actually led someone personally in the prayer of salvation and led them across the line of faith. Yet that's the very responsibility that each of us has. In fact, we ought to make the last thing that Jesus said the first thing on our list of priorities. Remember before Jesus left the earth, before he ascended into heaven, he gave us this commission and he said, go into all the earth and make disciples of all. Last thing he said, last thing he said. And most of you recognize that our last words are our most important words. And the last thing Jesus said is reach people. The last thing Jesus said to the church was reach people. Now, can I, can I just break that down for you because we're about to jump into the text? After Jesus rose from the dead, and I think this is fitting because we're in the season of Lent and, and, and pretty soon we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus appeared in one place in 1 Corinthians. It says Jesus appeared to as many as 500 people at once. Over a period of 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he made several appearances, not only to his disciples, but according to the testimony and the record in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 15, he appeared to as many as 500 at once. Anybody remember how many people showed up in the upper room? 120. Only 120 made it. Even if he only appeared to 500 and he appeared to much more than 500, only 120 took his instruction seriously. And the same is true, that you and I might hear this great commission to reach people, eh, and we might take it as an option. When the very reason that we are here is not only to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but to bring others, to bring others, others along. And again, I said this two weeks ago, this is not seven steps to your breakthrough. This is not the final step to your millions. But can I tell you, can I tell you this? 
that we ought to be storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moss and rust do not corrupt. Hey, I ain't hating. I ain't hating. I've got a folder on my computer called uh, uh, Millionaire Status. That's for me. Yeah, I'm going to get everything God said I can get. I ain't going to hate on you until you about you making your money. I ain't going to hate on you. But let me tell you something. There's even something more important than your next big house, than your next big car, because ain't none of that leaving this earth with you. And that's why Jesus says you and I ought to be intentional about storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So that when you get to heaven, it's just like, well, Lord, I had a big house, I had a big car, had a lot of friends, I was balling out of control. We lose sight of that. That the most important thing that we could be doing is the last thing that Jesus said, and that is to reach people. Can I just make it plain for you? We will give an account. Everybody in this room, including myself, will give an account before the Lord for the opportunities that we just squandered to reach people, to reach people. In Ezekiel, the scripture says, if God is sending the sword or the ax and we warn the people and they ignore it, the blood is on their heads. But if God is about to send judgment and we don't warn the people, their blood is on whose hands? So we can keep playing around with why we're still here on the earth and totally lose sight of, of, of our commission to reach people, to reach people. And God is saying the church exists to be that lifeline to people who are drowning every day in culture. And here we are with the lifeline and refuse to throw it out and rescue someone who's dying. Anyway, let me get to my message. Let me get to my message. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We can lose sight of why we're here, but we all, every single one of us, will stand before God and give an account. And the scripture says our works, our works will be tested with fire. Everything that you and I do on earth will be tested with fire. And some of our, our works will be as gold and silver, and it will survive the refiner's fire. But some of the stuff we bring to Jesus is going to be wood, hay, and stubble. He's going to say, what's that mess? It mattered to you while you were on earth. You can't bring that stuff over with you into eternity. It means nothing. Let's not live our lives pursuing things that have no eternal significance. And that's why every day I walk into my job, I am reminded of the fact that I'm here for more than just a paycheck. And God, as you give me opportunity, as you open the door, I'm going to tell somebody about you somehow, some way. Because everywhere, everywhere you're planted becomes your mission field. You've heard me share my story about being in the military. And the one guy I went through basic training with, for whatever reason, he and I went through basic training. And the way I even met Shane Sweck, and the reason I'm telling you his name is so that you will know that it is a testimony, not a testimony. The day I met Shane Sweck, we both had CQ, command of quarters. That means you stay up in the night and you watch the barracks. 
for two hours at a time. Shane was from Nantucket, Massachusetts. I'm from Liberia, West Africa. We just happened to be assigned to CQ that night. We're sitting there at CQ, and we start this conversation. Somehow it comes around to faith. Shane says, I'm an atheist. I say, I love Jesus. Here's what we do. When people tell us what they believe, we shrink back, and we're ashamed to tell them what we believe. And I'm telling you, culture has become so loud and so defiant, it's like Goliath. Goliath taunted the children of Israel for 40 days, and not one of them said nothing back. And culture is taunting the church, and nobody ain't saying nothing. But culture is loud and brazen and bold about what they believe. But we have become secret agents with our Christianity. Don't nobody know but you that you were Christian. Yet Jesus says, the reason you're here, the reason you're in that situation, the reason you're in that neighborhood, the reason you have that job is so that you can be a channel and conduit of my love. And so Shane and I, uh, he's an atheist, I'm a Christian. We finished basic training eight weeks, and the only people in our entire platoon, our entire, only two people who came down on orders for our platoon for Fort Lee was me and Shane. Everybody else went somewhere else. So the ride from Fort Jackson, South Carolina to Fort Lee, Virginia, Shane and I just talked, and we were just friends. Now, now, not only did we get to Fort Lee, Virginia together, we were in the same company together. Somebody say divine appointments. None of that is accidental. An atheist hooked at the hip to a Christian. Now notice, I wasn't a pastor. I was just a Christian. So Shane and I go through AIT. And the only two people, listen to me, the only two people from our platoon who came down on orders to go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, was me and Shane. Not just Fort Campbell, Kentucky, but we ended up in the same unit, the 8th Battalion, 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault. Somebody say, who, what? I just had a flashback. Same for two, me and Shane. He still doesn't believe in God, and I still love Jesus. And then one day, check this out, one day, one day, Shane comes to me in tears. So what's going on, man? He said, I got to go home. I said, what's going on? He said his mom called him, devastated, because his dad, who Shane adored, was leaving his mom for a much younger woman, and she was devastated. So Shane got on a plane. Shane got on a plane and flew to Nantucket. And the first night he was in Nantucket, he's lying in his bed. And he, he comes back and explains the story to me, but he said he's lying in his bed. And he said, he said, I don't know how to explain it except that there was this undeniable presence in my room. He said, I didn't see anything, but I felt it, and it was like liquid love. And he said, I knew God had entered my room. And he said, I got down on my knees and prayed the best way I could pray and surrendered my heart. He said to God. This is when he came back. And after Shane and I had that conversation, I led him in the prayer of faith. And I explained to him what it meant to come into intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. So Shane now is born again. A few days later, I pray with him, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Shane is working out with another guy named Dave Mays. Now, Shane, man, he could put that sauce back, y'all. Because that's what he did. He medicated his pain. And what we do when we medicate our pain is we delay God's healing process. God can't get to the source of our pain if we're treating it ourselves. So Shane, sauce, man, gets filled with the Holy Spirit right there in the barracks. Not in a church service. This is a regular, ordinary soldier just like him, leading him to Christ, ministering the baptism. Dave Mays is like, man, because Shane stops drinking. He stops womanizing. He starts going to church, but he's still working out with Dave. Dave sees the transformation, and I'm giving you names. David Mays sees the transformation in Shane. He says, man, I want what you have. So I lead David in the prayer of salvation, and I minister the Holy Spirit to him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. uh, uh, Dave has a roommate named Jake Taylor who also sees the transformation in Dave and Shane's lives. And he starts coming to church with us. And in one of the church services, he prays the prayer of salvation, and he gets born again. All three of those guys still serving the Lord. In fact, Shane's mom, Shane's mom is one of the most active members in her church to this day because Shane prayed for his mom and led her to the Lord. Now, why am I saying all of this? This is not just for preachers. This is for every single person who is a Christ follower to reach the lost and to do it with a sense of urgency. (sighs) Okay, how am I going to do this? I'm going to do this fast and furious. Y'all ready? Can I say this? No condemnation. There's There's absolutely no condemnation. What I want to do is challenge everybody in this room to recognize the gravity of the commission we've been given to reach people. Jesus ain't going to let us off the hook, though. He ain't going to let us off the hook. The expectation is that we become his ministers of reconciliation. That's what the Bible says. It says God is making his plea to this world through us. You know how God's going to reach the world? He's going to do it through us. He is going to do it through us. That's why the scripture says we are ambassadors for Christ. He wants to do it through you. Because everywhere the soles of your feet are planted, God has placed you there to make it your mission field. Oh, yeah. Again, I told you, this ain't nine steps to my first million. But it is what the Lord will require of each of us. So, let me say this. Uh, let me say this. It's so, it's so, it's so cool and it's so easy because this is what Jesus said. Remember in Mark chapter 4, uh, you can put the text on the screen. Mark chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, uh, we talked about it last week, that Jesus shows up. Uh, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong text. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew, did I say Matthew? Matthew, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, and I'm going to read this quickly. And I think I gave you the wrong Did I give you the wrong reference? I said, Mark, pastor was loud and wrong. All right, anyway. Yes, there it is. What is it? Matthew 4, 18 and 19. 
Notice what happens. And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. Anybody know what their profession was? They were fishermen. Who was he calling to do this? Ordinary people in the marketplace. If you're an ordinary person in the marketplace, you're not ordained, you're not a minister, you don't have a collar, this applies to you. Ordinary marketplace ministers. And so he says, uh, they cast an net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19 says, then he said to them, follow me. Here it is. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the good news. If you are following Jesus, he will empower you to reach people. So let me take the pressure off. You and I don't have to do it in our own strength and our own ability. He will supply the grace. And it comes from a place of intimacy where we're walking in cadence with Jesus so that what matters to him begins to matter to us. That's the first thing. And let me tell you, let me tell you how he does that. When we're walking with Jesus and following him, let me, let me tell you what the first thing that's going to happen. Let me tell you the, the first thing that happens when you're walking with Jesus is that his love, his love for people is going to jump all over you. Mm-hmm. No, no, I want you to hear that. He is going to fill your heart with an insatiable love for people. And as a pastor, I know this because I've been around pastors and ministry leaders who love crowds but hate people. Yeah. Their opium is to stand in front of a big crowd of people and the euphoria of being this motivational speaker is all they live for and they come off that pulpit and never stop to talk to a soul. But the first thing that happens when you follow Jesus is that he will give you a heart of compassion for people who don't know him. And you will begin to see people through a different lens and a new set of eyes. You will begin to see their pain. You will begin to see their frustration. Oh, here's a good one. You will begin to see their dysfunction in a totally different way. That person who's getting on your last nerves at work, you start following Jesus and he will fill your heart with compassion for them. Y'all ain't listening to me. You, you, you want for God to judge him. You want for God to handle them. But when you start following Jesus, he is going to fill your heart with compassion for them. In fact, he will even start to give you a curiosity about their story. Because they ain't just crazy as they are just by accident. There's a backstory to that crazy. And when you understand a person's story, you become more compassionate toward them. And, and that happened unless you follow in Jesus. And the fact that we can live our lives totally oblivious to other people's pain is an indication that maybe we're not following Jesus as closely as we ought. Because if we were, we would be in the process of becoming fishers of men. So he says, I'm going to make you into this person who reaches hurting people. I, God says, I will do it. You don't have to try. I'm going to help you because you your heart is inclined to, to, toward me. And because you're following me, I will give you a desire to help and minister to people who are hurting. Are you all with me so far? All right. I'm about to close out. Here it is. Turn with me to John chapter 4. I, I implore you, I, I, I implore you this morning to, to please, to please consider 
consider what I'm sharing. Critically important. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1. Okay. And if you weren't here last week, I gave you some very practical steps of how you can be a soul winner, but it continues here. It continues here. So here's the deal. Uh, as you become a fisher of men, the first thing that will happen, the transformative power of God's love will give you a heightened sensitivity to the needs of people around you. Again, he will, he will open your eyes to see the pain that people are going through, and he will make you, listen to me, he will make you the solution to their pain. He will make you the answer to their pain because you will become the hands and feet of Jesus extended to a broken world. I'm telling you, he wants to use you. He wants to use you. And it doesn't have to be in this loud and profound way. He simply, it can be something as simple as just, how you doing today? I told you about the conversation I had with a young lady at work. I went outside to make a phone call, and she was outside making a phone call. I didn't know her really well. But when she got off the phone, I just felt prompted by the Lord to talk to her. And I said, how you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. And I told her, I just want to check on my strong friend. She broke down crying. Listen to me. Sharing your faith with others does not have to be a big theological exercise. People just have to, to sense the love of God and the compassion of God through you. Let me tell you something. There's a reason people push back against this version of the church. It's because we have done a lousy job of introducing our God to this culture. Because if we were introducing the God of the scriptures to this culture, they would be they would be busting, at, they would be breaking down the doors. That's why people who were unchurched, who had nothing to do with the Pharisees, had nothing to do with the religious leaders, flocked to Jesus. Multitudes. You know why? Because they experienced the love of God. They experienced the compassion of God. And if we could become vessels of his compassion again, every single seat in this auditorium would be filled if we could introduce people to the God of the Bible who loves them in spite of their brokenness and that's why the scripture says Jesus was a friend of sinners in fact they criticized Jesus because so many broken people followed him they criticized Jesus because he allowed Mary to touch his feet. He said, man, do you know what kind of woman this is? See, see, Jesus loved people. And when we start to walk with Jesus, man, that's the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to love the people that we were once critical of. And he will replace our pharisaical glasses, the glasses of, of our religious our limited religious vision with eyes of love. Don't, no, don't start playing yet. Don't start playing yet. I'm just getting started. I still got a few more minutes, a few more minutes. Yeah, but, but you can hang tight. Everybody say hi, Robert. All right, I'm about to wrap it up. 